Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Undiscovered Decade. This is a podcast where we look back at the movies of the 1990s and try to dig up some hidden gems, try to crack the code on ones that people have forgotten. Uh, this, is a, this is a movie that we're talking about this month about friendship. What better to have a team of friends that have never betrayed each other? We're talking about sneakers. This is a... Uh, Robert Redford vehicle, though it has an all-star cast, all of which have either not been nominated or won an Oscar in their lifetime. Uh, Sydney Portes won. Yeah, I said nominated or won. Oh, okay. Or ha- I thought you said or haven't. Okay. Or have won. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I gotta I gotta enunciate better. I'm trying. Um, but yeah, Redford's won. Uh, Sydney Portier's in this. Uh, Heron's been nominated. Straight there, and yeah. Uh, Mary McDonald was nominated twice around this time. Passion Fish, I believe, comes out later this year. Yeah. And uh, she's nominated for that. Uh, we have River Phoenix, who's nominated for an Oscar. Uh, this is his second to last film, I believe. Wow. Right? What was Timothy Busfield nominated for? He's not the high. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. That's, that's the supporters. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Little Jeff. big league. He got nominated. I have to say. That is funny you bring him up because uh, I just realized he's in Field of Dreams as well. Yeah. Which Phil Alden Robinson had directed right before this. Yeah. So I didn't think of that. He's been nominated for a screenwriting Oscar. We, wait, is that the dude from uh, Grounded for Life? No, yeah, Donald Logue is it? <laughs> it was like, oh, hey, yeah, uh, Timothy Busfield is one of the uh agents that pretends to be FBI. Ah, gotcha, with Eddie Jones. Well, we'll get there, we gotta yeah. slow it down, we gotta get into the, I'm just, I love the whole cast. listen. I'm not gonna lie, this movie was literally not what I was expecting based on the title. Well, I yes. was. I don't you know. Think it would be about a shoe manufacturer? No, I figured, well, I, I somehow envisioned, like, I'm going reverse poster boy here. I kind of envisioned it was sort of like uh, tiptoes. Oh, like, no. Like, like, like this horrible <laughs> fantasy about, like, magic sneakers or something. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Actually, I way all be midgets. Yeah, it's not as bad as tiptoes. No. That's pretty shit. Sure. I'm uh, so well, the, the poster would not have lent you to know any right. better. This that's, the, that's the thing. It doesn't look like what it is, which, Tristan, do you want to go into what it is? What it actually is? Well, it focuses on a team of hackers that uh, sort of get paid to double check security systems. And their leader, played by uh, Robert Redford, has found himself in this international snafu, but it isn't really an international snafu. It's actually a revenge plot from an old roommate or friend from college, played by Ben Kingsley, our other Oscar winner, uh, who, when he was a younger man, got caught for draining Republican funds and other sort of conservative things. And like originally, by hacking, like OG hacker stuff. character was like. He was in it because, like, they're in college, and, like, he was in it because it was a prank. But uh, Ben Kingsley, like, firmly believed in, like, changing the system and righting the wrongs of history. Revolution. So, like, it, was, yeah. it was very much like a Mr. Robot of its time. 
Like yeah. they were genuinely hey. trying to actually do good things. When they did that flashback scene at the beginning, those two actors looked more like Gary Busey and David Paymer to me. David Paymer for sure. <laughs> actually, this thought, does not look like Ben Kingsley. You know, knowing how Street Theron turns out too, I actually thought it was young David Street Theron and he was going to be uh, the, okay, yeah. uh, that was the This is how one. he lost his sight. Yeah, I was so confused at first. And then I was like, oh, he's actually supposed to be Ben Kingsley. Okay, that's yeah. sure how racist it is. See, I went, I went in like not knowing anything about this. Yeah, I've seen this. Fresh. This is a weird viewing experience for me because each time I watch it, I like it less. Oh, really? But that's just go ahead. We'll get into that. You with that? This is a this is a surprise. You were the one that chose this. Don't. I know. Well, yeah, it's you know generally it's a heist movie, but everything is done with computers and it's all yeah well except toward the end but um let's talk let's talk about all the characters sure uh first obviously you have that lead of the team martin bishop who uh is it is that his original name or is it martin brace uh he's got aliases so i don't remember he's yeah, terrible he's, at aliases because he used the same so first name you dumbass <laughs> yeah and of course you're found by timothy busfield right uh it's it's kind of funny like if uh, i'm going into hiding i'm not going to call myself jeff butterberg you know yeah. it's kind of like the same fucking thing <laughs> yeah hey, you can't even do garvin anymore right um jeff saxophone <laughs> I want to come over to Elias. Elias is, yeah. yeah. Tristan Bohr. Um, no, you would just add an extra O. <laughs> no, I'm not the same guy, I swear. It's Jimmy Harrison. We're different people. Look, look earlier in your Rolodex. Right. Um, so he's assembled a team that includes uh, Sidney Poitier, who is a former CIA. Huh? Former CIA. Yeah, I knew he was CIA. some sort of law enforcement. Yeah. Um, play, uh, his character is Donald Kreese. Uh, he also has Carl Arbogast, who is this um, young kid who, what, what did he get caught for? That's River Phoenix. Changing well, the like, None of them got caught yeah. for anything except for like Robert Redford because he's the one that had a track record. And True. Had well, not they else, did. Everybody else had like a legitimate catch. thing that they were like doing that wasn't, you know. They called him like. They called him like uh, Catch Me If You Can. Well, what's the character's name? Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, um, Frank Ab- Abagnale. Frank Abagnale, but then they turned him to work on the other side of the law. So yeah, this is a that's an interesting. Uh, conceit honestly because uh they're still kind of like robin hoods in right they even make that reference i think in the movie too yeah and it's it's almost like what i think uh martin thought cosmo who is the person he ends up accidentally betraying cosmo Uh, framer i know um cosmo is ben kingsley's character uh martin thought that's what they were doing at first i think by pranking people they're just like twisting the knife not stabbing you know yeah. um, they were college kids they didn't right what they did just, just reappropriating like you know yeah like you said republican and conservatives like funds to like other organizations yeah but like you know that's illegal 
and they got busted pretty quickly. Yeah, so you don't gain much sympathy for him at the beginning by abandoning his friend who's about to be arrested. Yeah, we didn't really talk about what he actually betrayed him for. He accidentally (laughs) abandoned him by going to get their dinner. Yeah, um, and that's when the feds come and try to get both of them, but only one is there. Yeah, and he tried to yell, he tried to warn him. It was a matter of luck, yeah. Yeah, really. so it wasn't betrayal. It was just like he just got lucky, and you know, so Cosmo went on the run need... for the rest of his life. Cosmo... Yeah, he's not gonna like run if the Fred if if you walk out to get pizza and the feds are raiding your apartment, you're not gonna walk back in and be like, "Hey guys, I was also part of that." <laughs> well, I don't think it <laughs> was right? yeah. on uh, Cosmo's part because, like, I think he knew that Robert Redford's character was able to stand up to the job to do what he needed him to do oh so he yeah. thought he was gonna because like he thought martin was gonna continue his idealization of, yeah because he he, tra- he did Fair try enough. to recruit recruit him to join his, their cause it's like now i have this little black box yeah, which okay. we, we have to get back into finally change the world but then robert redford's like nah it's just like that's that's power power corrupts and yeah like no yeah so it's so really- like, the different divergent ideas, yeah, and then like uh, clearly like, spell their characterization. Ben Kingsley Kingsley's character, like he, he, he's like unable to kill his old friend. Right. Yeah, it's sentimental. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, gonna... I, I don't, I don't think we, it's a revenge still, plot, but like more, more still so the like, characters. Like it is like I know. A, a high situation. Jeff, Jeff really like, wants to talk about the two other characters. Oh, what? Um, we we no. meant- we missed one character as well, someone who was nominated just a year or two earlier for an Oscar. Dan Aykroyd yeah. plays Mother. Um, this is a thing that I don't like. Because My favorite character. Characters that have nicknames. They should have more nicknames. Um, yeah. Because Straight Theron is uh, Whistler. And he's, he's probably that because he uh, is blind, so yeah. he has to call out to people. He's blind, I- but also he's a, he's a, it's a play on um, that guy. From the 70s i think john draper was his name who like had the who was known as captain crunch because he'd take the little whistle that they had in the captain crunch boxes and he'd use like he found out that they had the same um tone as the phone system so he would use that to make free phone calls wait a second hey. is that what where, where like the first this? hacker what where'd you read about this I knew about it previously, oh, but yes. it's also listed in the trivia for the movie. But because ah, cool. the, the, the reference to that was because of the Captain Crunch thing, they find the guy's trash later. But ah. so I think that's why he's called Whistler because they actually mentioned, you know, his, you know, he got into some trouble with the phone company. Yeah, wow. interesting. So he's sort also of he's blind. Person. So yeah. Yeah. was yeah. mother a, a blind hacker? Yes. Was, was Mother based on any other real thing, or is yeah, Dan Aykroyd's own conspiracy? Theory? Yeah, exactly. That's literally it was. <laughs> it, he's playing it was himself just, in this movie. He's playing a college age version of Race Dance. Yeah. Ten years no, after Race, after anything, he's he's big on um, the paranormal and UFOs and conspiracy theories in general. Yeah, like, I feel yeah, like no, I, I feel like he came up with a lot of his own dialogue. Yeah, just turn the camera on him. He's he's yeah. very much like the Dale Gribble of the group. Really, it, it was like the movie, like his part in the movie was just him ranting. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, I'm not. They, they just cut to him for a crazy conspiracy theory and then just go on with the plot. Yeah, he's just <laughs> supposed to be like that man. 
And it's great because the former CIA guy is like on the team, and he's just like, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. I just, I what? I gotta get scared. We're stuck in the same van for hours at a time, even days, and like, no. His character exists as both a foil for Sidney Poitier's character, just to like annoy the shit out of him, but also because without Aykroyd. The rest of the team is actually pretty sane and confident in what they're doing, and you just need curious. you need a crazy guy yeah, to like yeah. make I don't know comic relief or something. It, Even though most of the comic relief comes from River Phoenix. I don't know when Whistler started driving. Has their own like little comical quirks, which makes them very unique and fun to watch. Yeah. Even if it's like little bits at a time. Do we want to talk about any more of our characters? I think we covered everyone. Oh, we didn't cover Liz. Yeah, so there yeah. it is actually a good point to bring her up. Um, as they're finishing up one of their many assignments, helping a security system, uh, trying to crack it, uh, Martin discovers that he is uh, going to maybe be part of this conspiracy, right? Is that exactly how they bring it up, the, the two FBI agents? They, they bring up that they... they yeah, they want to blackmail him to get a black box. Yeah, there's... That's why I, that's why I say... MacGuffin. It's, yeah. it's a, a MacGuffin. He doesn't know what it is. He thinks it might be a weapon. It might be secrets to the government. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So he says, should we even do this? But he's also being held hostage by these two FBI agents uh, who turn out to be Cosmo's henchmen. Right. Uh, and so he goes to his old flame, Liz, played by Mary McDonald to join the team again and kind of be an inside man to figure out what's going on and help him with it before he involves the rest of his team without having to put them on the line for it. Right. So he sort of joins the team for the rest of the film. Um, he pretty rapidly figures out that it's not good because uh, Donald, Sidney Poitier, uh, can tell that this is not going well. One of the dignitaries has been, or it's the scientist that formed the black box, Donald Loeb. Yeah. Um, he apparently cracked some code that is going to give secrets. What, what is the actual? Well, he, 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 figured, was, uh, he figured out uh, a mathematical equation to create an algorithm that can solve any complex uh, mathematical problem, which basically means like uh, he could it, decrypt it, anything. It, it's the it can hack anything like it decrypt. decrypt it's a uh, basically like it's like an enigma machine yeah you, yeah yeah no pretty much and this is it's like the enigma machine for the 21st century when this movie came out in the 90s so like it was like it was basically sure. and there, there's a lot like in the time that we watched this movie there's a lot of things that just mirrors what's going on in, like the real world today now so probably then, yeah, this, yeah, probably then too but like it was like it was a little more lax because like the the, the cold war had just ended so like the whole idea of like cyber warfare and like hacking into like national security. Like that was like, it was a problem, but like not as much as it is now. And like uh, watching this movie, like it's just like, oh, in a way it was ahead of its, ahead of its time. It's, and, uh, with the uh, themes that it was hitting. It is, it's aged very well. Yeah, basically with the Cold War just ending, it's kind of funny that, uh, they're bringing up like this is how we're going to fight now in the underground yeah. internet and everything. George it's all Trump. ones and zeros, man. And that's part of the reason why these like 
two feds that approach uh, our main character, uh, that was that's part of their pitch. It's like this is for national security. Like, yeah, sure, we're not we're not at war with the Russians, and you know the Soviet Union is gone, but like they still want to hack. So like they they, they li- monitor. Yeah, they want to. Li- they're they're lying to him, saying like we got to get to this uh, black box before the Russians do. But it turns out uh, they they weren't actually interested in it the whole time. Yeah, George Hearn comes up, uh, Sweeney Todd himself, to play mm-hmm. this uh, Russian ambassador who points out that they don't want to fight America anymore, though obviously in and, our minds we think they do. But like, he, and he also points out like, uh, um, even if they did get the uh, box, like the, their uh, their uh, computer infrastructure is wildly incompatible with ours. So like trying to hack would just be just like, it'd be a hassle anyway. So it was like, it was like kind of pointless. Move. So like, yeah, move. So like, move. that's when, uh, Martin. Martin starts realizing, like, is it okay? So, like, I'm really being like, really used by somebody, but who? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a paranoid thriller, uh, though. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go too deeply. It's not, you know, uh, all the presidents men level like a deep throat trying to f- think that you're being chased by shadow men or anything. Uh, it is really just a movie about friendship i think it's five bad guys one good no five, five good, good guys and one good girl in a bad situation <laughs> also uh we should note that the music was done by james horner who also did a beautiful mind very jazzy so there's a lot of like a lot of sax. There's very much a beautiful mind vibe going on, especially like at one point they're in the back of the truck, and I swear I could hear like a proto version of the theme from Beautiful Mind, like as they're figuring Fine. stuff out. I'm like, oh, so James like, Horner had a calling card. They just need like pie going across the screen. Right. Yeah. It needed a woman in a red dress walking into a bar. I seem to remember him saying he uh, took some stuff to develop more things for Titanic and other later things like Avatar. Oh. So, like, he took from his past to make new things. There's only so yeah. many notes. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, uh, he has been in a couple of films that we've done. Uh, he was the uh, composer for The Rocketeer, a couple other yeah. things. So he's, he's like our uh, patron saint of composing for this podcast. Right. We had a couple of resurgent actors in this. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was in our second episode ever. River Phoenix had the movie based on the play Jeff was in. Who else do we have? Eddie Jones, who's the other agent with Timothy Busfield, was in The Rocketeer. Uh, he's the pilot that shouldn't be flying when he, when he tries to save uh, Rick. What's, what's the Rocketeer's name? Chuck. No. Cliff? Cliff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think uh, you should notice. Yeah, you should. Uh, you got him tattooed on your arm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, What's his name? Dilophosaurus. Yeah, Dilo. Uh, there's someone else. James Earl Jones. That's the big one. Oh yeah, he sure. Yeah. He's he, he's the uh, ex machina of the film. Uh, there's a there's a telephone call that Martin makes to the FBI, NSA, 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 to try and figure out what's going on. 
And the NSA is like, give us the black box, we'll take care of you. And of course, if they say that, you can't trust them. But yeah, that's what that's like when when that kid shows up and says, What's in the box? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've got like a lie detector (laughs) on the other end of the line or uh, Darth Vader himself. So they've got like a lie detector hooked up to that thing. You see, like all the they're spoofing the the call, and that was a very good chase scene for Mm. like a phone conversation. Yeah. Like it was 45 seconds of just like, holy shit. Yeah. You work with Phil and Robinson on uh, Field of Dreams. Yeah. It's fun how they have like all these like uh, uh, agencies like stacked up in this movie because like uh, you have uh, James Earl Jones in, in the NSA, uh, one of the guys in the group, like former CIA, and then like um, the FBI agents that they come up against are like uh, former. And corrupted and like, like basically freelance. Uh, so like former FBI, former CIA, and a couple active NSA. Various three-letter industries. Yeah. Or institutions. Sort of interchangeable. <laughs> it's strange that this script attracted the likes of like Robert Redford and Sidney Forte, who are pretty notorious about being pretty selective about their movies. Because Sidney Forte, around the '90s, he was semi-retired. This and the Jackal are like these big movies in the '90s, and uh, each time I watch the movie, it becomes more featherweight, more trivial, more forgettable. And I got to rewatch it again to remind myself what the particulars of the mo- in the movie are, because it just evaporates right See, after. It's kind of funny because if you notice, this whole time, whenever I stumbled on something that happened, I'd be like, "Jimmy, please finish my sentence." <laughs> I'm I serious. Like what the box was. The or... movie has no retention. I still like it, so I, I don't disagree. know if me in the future. I, I like the movie, but I agree there's some things that I just kind of forget. It's kind there's, of like a nice popcorn movie. It's a popcorn movie, but it's also like, yeah, it's about friendship, but it is a, it's a fairly decent heist movie. I think it's great. And it also has, it's got heart. I mean, I do think it's kind of weird that, that Robert Redford puts his entire life and team at stake for $175,000 in the beginning of it when they could very clearly just steal more than that and be fine but because they're a legitimate business so like they gotta make money and also like he's kind of like forced to like okay at least I'm getting paid for this but this also like part of the deal was uh, before he found out that these guys were no longer active FBI but like a he, he um part of the deal was that like he would get his name cleared right right yeah, but even funny yeah um well no the other thing i was going to say was just structurally story-wise there are a couple little good moments like at one point there's you know robert redford gets thrown in the back of a trunk and doesn't know where he is and then he's recounting the scene to the blind guy later and he's like what did it sound like he's like what do you mean and he's like describing all of these like what he sounded like to try to get them to find where they took him and they figure it out and whistler's just like oh congratulations you're an honorary blind man and then later in the movie later in the movie like the other members of the team are are you know have been found out or are are otherwise pre and predisposed and whistler has to drive the van and 
you know, Marty's just like guiding him that way. So it's yeah. just, it was a nice little like bookend to that. Sitcom material. I see, I see Corey's eyes rolling back in his head. As you I don't know, man. I got goosebumps. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I, I shed I a tear it. for Whistler. I liked it when I was a kid, but having rewatched it, I I thought you guys were saying it was like maybe prescient in the day, but now when you look at its view of technology and what, what you could do back then, well, it is listen, so it's not hackers. Yeah, I know. They, it, hackers is more fun. Them. Yeah, but you wouldn't have hackers without this. Right, so. exactly. Hackers is fun though. This is glacial because middle brow <laughs> cabin. So what that means to... <laughs> on top of that, um the they're trying to do harken back to like the 40s with uh, the relationship between Redford and Mary McDonald. We're not back together. Like that's a refrain throughout the whole movie. And uh, I was just rolling my eyes at how corny that was. And then at the end, they were back together. It's no Fisher Stevens talking about the garbage file, but, you know. I know, that was better. Speaking of that uh, chemistry describing, I actually thought it was uh, heartfelt. It reminded me, at least Myron McDonald's performance, of uh, Annette Bening in The American President. Did you feel like there were any mistakes? She's playing off of his repartee in the same way that, I don't know, Sidney Wade does. Did you find Ben Kingsley at all threatening? I mean, well, that's the thing was, he's not supposed to be physically threatening. He's got the whole, yeah, but he's got like the he's whole, thugs. his whole aura is, yeah, he's got thugs to do his dirty work, but he also has this whole armored system around him where he can, where he talks about how he can literally control world economies if he wanted to. And that's the intimidating part. Well, like he's a thing. shady character with a ponytail, but like if they're gonna do that chess game, I'd rather they stayed psychological instead of going to kinetic action with the shotgun scene. I think they out of place. Yeah, I think for Ben Kingsley's character Cosmo, like he's not supposed to be like too threatening. The threat is that like he is about to have power and move up because like right like right now in the movie. Uh, like before the climax um, he's really just like the uh, like the smart tech savvy uh, numbers guy like he went to prison because he got busted in college for the the prank Uh, but then there is where he met the mafia and he basically he was in charge of laundering their money and like while working with them in prison and getting out like he was in charge of setting up their computer systems to like um, launder their money so like he he was the threat of him is that he's the middle guy with potential and now with this little black box he can rule the world it's, so like it's kind of a, a, is a bond villain yeah basically yeah. he's a bond it's, villain it's kind of like that guy in billy bathgate but if he wasn't a coward yeah. <laughs> right it's better than billy bathgate it's absolutely better that might yeah. be- <clears throat> he's he's a bond villain being fought by just a disgruntled, like security guy, <laughs> IT guy. On top of that, that Gordon Gecko haircut with the ponytail. Oh, oh my god! It's, yeah, that was a. I I actually legitimately uh kind of chuckled a little bit at the way that uh, <laughs> he ran back into his office when he realized they stole my black box. 
is this still there? Runs and like he kind of jauntily is just like it was almost a brisk jog, but like he's, he's wearing like Steven he's, and then he's like, why is it so hot? Like, okay, it's hard. It's hard to take him seriously when he jogs like that. I know. I don't know. I just feel like this movie. On top of that, it's bloated. It shouldn't have been over two hours. A movie like this needs to be lean. You know what I kept I kept thinking of? And I don't know how many people have seen this, but Robert Redford did another caper movie back in the, I want to say 70s or 80s, uh, The Hot Rock, which is kind of a similar structure, but it's 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 way more engaging. The I don't know. The, the plot's just a lot more fun. It's more picker-esque. This is like a slog. I'm a it's almost like a sleep ad of this movie. It's 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 so lumbering and glacial. But like, hackers is a brilliant masterpiece. But it's fast paced. I think All right. people are, are okay. chilling the scenery, they're fun. Well, I think, I think oh, yeah, yeah. I think because this is the first time the three of us are seeing this, it's not that bad. Okay. Right. The cracks you're describing. Watch it again. Will I watch it again? No, but I was fine with it, and I'm yeah. a big fan of Robert Redford. So seeing this, right. this thing I never heard of, I thought it was a hidden gem. So you presenting this to us as the film we should call a hidden gem was fine by me because of that. Uh, listen, I'm not gonna. Lie. I might actually pay real American currency. I'm, everybody else purchase a DVD of this anyway. I feel like. If we're gonna like a good comparison, like I really didn't even think about this until like you guys started bringing it up multiple times so far. But like the hackers and sneakers comparison, like it's interesting because like there's a there's a very obvious like generational difference in like perspective of technology. Yeah. Whereas like uh, hackers, um, like recalling it and having watched it multiple times, uh, that's very very obviously geared towards the MTV generation. Yeah. Uh, whereas like sneakers seems to be more like a movie geared- What about towards, cyberspace? And stuff? Like geared towards the boomer generation mm. who, who have grown up during, you know, the cold war. And like the, these guys are like, they're middle-aged now. And like, you know, they're just right. getting on with their lives. They're just trying to get by. So like, there's one side, like guys trying to get by and like, you know, their life's eventually essentially half over. So they're just like, yeah, they went they yeah. went white hat. Well, while hackers is like, we're the future, man. Hack the planet. And then like you have all these crazy visuals and like music is like all over the board. It's, also, it's very like punky. It's American versus British. I didn't realize the director was British. Hmm. Oh, hackers? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is a guy named Ian Softly. Yeah, he's I the guy did backbeat. I've never seen Hackers, so I don't know anything. Yeah, and, I can't and, compare well, that. And the lead is an Irishman playing a uh, right, American, Johnny Lee so, Miller. Yeah. It's so just Im imagine if yeah, it, age, Hackers. Sixty-five, and and Phil Elvin Robinson's like seventy. So. If the characters from uh, Sneakers had kids, they would be hey. the kids Hacker. from Hackers. It's like almost the same movie told differently. That's all. I, I don't know. I'm just, and I'm sorry I keep bringing it up. I didn't. It, uh, it's, it's just a nice little. There's only three years difference. It looks like a huge leap forward just between the two movies. Well, like Hackers is going to come up again because it came out in 95. So I mean, we picked that. Who knows? Sorry. Well, when we started the podcast, well, Hackers is still a cult classic. 
when we started the podcast, when we started the podcast, I had always thought about talking about what it felt like in the world at the same time. And obviously they're talking about the Cold War here and it's kind of been a shadow over us. This is kind of, it's not the end of talking about Russia, but if you look at the way that decades feel up until about 92 is when it still sort of felt like the 80s. You still had the shadow of Reagan because you had Bush as president, at least in America. And with the fall of the Iron Curtain, you had new premiers and, and people in Europe taking over the world powers. And so as the Clinton administration comes in, in two months, at least being voted in, I think that's when the transition goes towards the feel of the 90s, the MTV generation taking over the media because they're becoming, you know, the the first music video comes in 81, right? Well, that movie, that movie Hackers, it's hyper-stylized like a music video. So you're right. right, and so now 15 years later, the people who were 15 when that music video came out are the ones directing things. They're 30. So by the time Hackers comes out, that feel has emerged. So I think right. the feeling of all these films that we've covered the last three years still feel like we've, at least I've thought, have felt like they could have been in the 80s. No, I agree. Some obviously were filmed in the 80s, at least that first yeah, year. That, but by the time we get to stuff next year, we're going to feel like it's the 90s, I think. Yeah. And also, yeah. I like, guess another like thing that I just thought of, like given like the eight, the 80s and 90s, like uh, like the hacker in hackers, you you get a you get a sense that like these kids have have the power at their hands because they have personal computers. Right. And, and that's laptops. what that's what leaps. Well, but I like I don't know the numbers, but I think it exponentially grows in family, in households, yeah. how many people and have like, personal computers. And you, and you look at sneakers right now, like look look at sneakers, like you look at the tech that they're using, they're using like heavy, big hardware, like big computers, like computers that are like, they look like you'd see in like, you know, uh, a government facility. Right. And like, it's like, um, and the equipment that the, the uh, our main dudes got, like it's, um, it's a hodgepodge of a lot of like, it's like early silicon like the, the power the powers that they have they've accumulated over the years because of their business whereas hackers is like hey, happy birthday son there you go there's your computer yay right yeah so, so like, you said fucking entitled millennials <laughs> you said earlier Corey, how the technology doesn't lend itself to what it should be it's 92 so they can't have stuff it's no, no, but it's a it's a real good like spy thriller you know because you've got like the tiny device that they need to steal and then steal back and that's it's on you go into it as a it's a spy thriller and rather than like it's not a sci-fi it's not a it's it's just it's a good heist slash spy movie i think it's um, a comfort food more than it's you know a fancy meal i think that's what you would compare the two and i think yeah. the technology growing so quickly and so accessibly in three years is what makes hackers better but i think this I'm is not, a, i'm not saying know, necessarily better it's just different you were saying better. We'll, we'll, we'll talk in we'll talk in three. If we're going by that criteria of what you said, which is escapist entertainment. I think hackers. I will also say though that sneakers is it's a feel good movie by the end because of course like it ends with you know whatever they save the day they save the box uh, they, go, they meet up with the, the with wizard the, of oz ending with, right exactly and and like the nsa is just like okay never talk about this and they're like well let's see what you can give us and everyone just asks for these super wholesome things like dan Aykroyd just wants a winnebago and river phoenix just wants like a brain. You know, james earl jones's assistant's number 
and Whistler asks for world peace. <laughs> and he's like, I'll see what I can do. I can see Cody like dying at that point. Oh, yeah, no, no. Like, we're, we're, we're watching this now. It's like Whistler didn't get his wish. He I want galactic it. peace. I can't guarantee that. Well, I don't think Glover Phoenix getting that girl's number one overall either. Oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't matter after a year. He's taking her to the dog fight. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, um, trying to I, think. I like how you, it was three of us trying to argue for the film to the one that actually presented it to us. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> this it, was it, your it, idea. It's one of those movies, I don't know if you had heard about it beforehand, but it's yeah. kind of gained a reputation as a, not even a cult classic, a classic in a lot of people's minds. Because it's got Robert Redford in it, so it's automatically a classic. I, I, actually, uh, before 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 we brought this up uh, for our next viewing, Walk in the Woods uh, is no. Clue. I'd never heard of this movie, and I obviously hadn't seen it. So like, right? Before okay. my first go, like I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I'd heard of it, but I never really knew the plot. I, okay. heard, I think I'd heard computers, but I didn't know it was actually like security systems and hacking circles. I travel in this. Oh yeah, no, uh, I I. I didn't piece together what the movie was going to be about until like the opening credits. I'm like, what the hell is going on with these names? And like, oh, yeah, oh, that was hyper encryption. Okay, I see where we're going. You like and that when, you, when he figures it out with the Scrabble pieces? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was. Again, beautiful mind. Um, but there's so many. There are a lot of really good parts to this movie, and I feel like that's what you know. Like Tristan said, as as this is the first time the three of us are seeing this, so like we're taking that part in. Like I didn't even know all about the twists and turns and everything. You know, I didn't know that what's his face was gonna end up playing older. What Gandhi? Yes. Although at one at one point I the point I knew he was gonna come back was when Robert Redford said he died in prison. I'm like, no, he didn't. Yeah, no one you never say that. We didn't see him die on screen, he didn't die. He's coming back. And I saw his name like where Ben Kingsley go. (laughs) What nationality is Cosmo? I I mentioned that earlier. It was a little racist. I'm no, I'm just wondering because I know that during this time period. Further on into his career, uh, Ben Kingsley was given carte blanche to play different ethnicities. So I'm just wondering, like Cosmo, he's kind of, he, I, I don't know, he's swarthy, he's got ponytail and everything. He's doing a different accent. I can't tell what, what he's supposed to be, American? That is. Uh, I, th- I think he's supposed to be like from like, you know, uh, uh, definitely a, uh, if, if not a city background, maybe like, Italian or like urban Jewish? He's supposed to be Italian because based on the way his accent is. I don't know. Sounds more like a New England accent to me. Is that okay? Yeah. Every that time, is, every time a Brit tries to do an American, they do a New England accent. Michael Caine does it. It's the um, proper old uh, Eastern Shore accent, the one that Catherine Hepburn always uses. The proper English. I try to do the proper English when I try to do an American accent. Yeah. Also, to be fair, like Ben Kingsley is like part Indian Kenyan, like he's a bunch of That's right. Oh, so like he's, 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 he's This is what I was trying to say. The um, 
thing that happens with his career, and I, I think a lot of other people that are sort of uh, vaguely ethnic throughout the 80s and 90s is they don't know where to put them in. But he's actually his father is Indian and his mother's English. It's it's oh, so it's perfect that he's Kesses Gandhi. It's I guess you know applicable at least. But that's why you can make him Persian or Egyptian or Pakistani. You know they're just like ah, you're brown, I guess. So yeah, the love guru. Yeah, I think he's a yeah, he's a Buddhist monk. But. You know, the character of Cosmo, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, he's just a friend who came back later to haunt him and yeah. get him in prison. He's a metaphor for his past. Coming back. Yes. Yeah. I guess. Coming back to haunt him, yeah. Right. I want to look up what the ethnicity of the guy that played young Cosmo was. That's... that's no, he looked exactly like David Paymer to me. And, and the young... Redford looked like Gary Busey. Yeah, I could see that. The mutton chops and the teeth. <laughs> this doesn't say. Doesn't say who played young versions. Today they just de-aged them. All these. Young I like how it was subtle at the beginning because they desaturated the color to make you know it was a flashback. Well, they they black and they white made it. Black. They made it four by three. That too. I noticed that. that was Which nice. threw me off because I was like, wait, I rented the standard edition of this. <laughs> Did I just accidentally rent the, the full screen version? Yeah, I thought that too. And then I just it but the but the I, title I, the titles were like overlapping past the border. So I'm like, okay, I think we're I think we're okay. Yeah. Well, Timothy Busfield went all white recently. White hair. I thought he made albino though. Yeah. This doesn't like, have young Cosmo. It does. Like, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky. Yeah, we didn't talk about it. He brought him up, and then we never went into it. Yeah, because you were like, he'll come up later. Uh, no, he 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 was like. That was later. He's the pawn that they used to get the password for uh, Ben Kingsley's office to steal the box back. Mary McDonald's being seductive with it. And Mary McDonald, like, she does so well, and then she gets it all, like, the whole thing is, she's, like, stealing his access card, and there's a whole scene where she takes him out to dinner and, you know, gets the proper words in the wrong order to use his passcode, and then she blows it by saying, like, that's the last time I do computer dating, and Ben Kingsley, the computer king of the, the whole movie, is just like, wait, a computer matched you two up? Yeah. Oh, it's my old hacker friend. Yeah. It has to be. Little me. Did Mary McDonald's popularity peak with uh, Independence Day? Because I feel like I haven't seen her in a while. Uh, she was in Battlestar Galactica. That was her big thing in the 2000s. Okay. Yeah, she's loved from that. And then she was in, was it The Closer or is that um, Kira Sedgwick? Kira Sedgwick. She's in, she's in a, maybe she's in the, the uh, spinoff of that. She's in some USA or TNT. Person of interest. Yeah, she was in. She was the leader of one of those. I think I wrote it on our notes. We could just yeah. look at. That. Um, but she's been around. She just, you know, this is what happens to actresses from the nineties. I guess like her big screen career. Kind yeah, of she's in the closer, and then Major Crimes, which is a spinoff of that. Okay. But yeah, in movies, she she does Mumford, and then Donnie Darko, Scream Four, which people didn't see. Uh, Donnie Darko, she's a psych 
No, she's not Snake Eyes. Who is she? Yeah, isn't she? She's the. Uh, or is she the mother? Catherine um, Ross is the psychiatrist. You love Donnie Darko, Jeff. What, who was she in that? I think she was the mom or the t- the nurse. No, she was. I think she was the mom. She had to be the mom because the, the therapist is Catherine Ross. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because okay. then there's like. Barely remember that movie. Great movie. Yeah. So, what would you grade this? I give it an A. Solid A. A plus. Wow, Jimmy loved this. No, no, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I was probably going to give it a B plus either way, but now I sound like I'm siding with Corey. He's. I want to hear what he says because if this isn't an F, that's not an F. Then it then it doesn't apply to all these other films. I was angry about other things that we watched. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a C. Okay, it's you're never gonna get below a C. No, I, I have. Mm. I think Billy Bath for movies that you suggested. <laughs> well, here's the thing: I figured you guys would like it. Doesn't necessarily mean I was gonna like it. Well, there's, I mean, there's things that came out this month that I think I could have suggested, but I think they got vetoed. Uh, all of them were more famous films, I thought. Mm, well, as we go through the list, you can tell me how you f- feel about it. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I get to see just it's one of those movies that's like effervescent from my memory the more I watch it. It just, it's, it's kind of like, it's a bad analogy maybe, but like, I like the movie Smoking Aces. But every time I watch it, it's like a brand new experience because I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot majority of this movie because right after the credits roll it just kind of evaporates into the ether. Huh. no that actually works i get what you mean there are there are films like that for me yeah i mean we there's we, ones that i know i love and then i'm like oh, i don't like this as much as i remember oh well legitimately mm-hmm. uh um i feel like with a faster pace <clears throat> this movie would have been better the, this, this might play into as much as as, as high of a grade that I gave the movie. This will play into Corey's like uh, probably a um, viewpoint or argument yeah, or whatever, yeah. um, which is valid. Like we, we we watched this like two weeks ago, right? Like, yeah. Um, honestly, like whenever like I would sit and try to recall the movie and like think about it, like like the fuck did we watch? And I'm like, okay, all right. <clears throat> Pause. And like, what happened? But like whenever we would talk about it, like right now. Like everything comes back like that. So like yeah. on my own, like there's just certain movies that like either improve or degrade yeah. within time. Yeah, this is a little of fun. I just so, like, feel like, about, like okay, I got this. But like on my own, like trying to pick, like re-remember the movie, like, okay, I'll get bits and pieces and then just kind of like move on to my next thought and then like come back to it like later on in the day. So like it's um just feels like the half life of this movie corrodes every time I rewatch it. Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, phenomenon. Hmm. Yeah, will we like this at the end of this whole podcast? It'll probably range towards. You know, what? you probably won't remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's the one that I remember the least. I keep forgetting the name of the film. That robot one with Gregory Hines. It was only last year. Okay, I gave that movie like a D. Oh, Eva Destruction. Yeah, I, I gave that. I can't yeah, remember the name. 
is just never going to stick. I think maybe one of the reasons why there was not there was not enough tap dancing for that one. <laughs> like, yeah, it wasn't white nights. The stakes weren't really all that high. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, but um, in this, yeah, I think I said that at one point. There's no, there's not yeah, really yeah. any stakes. You know, yeah. nobody's gonna get killed. Yeah, let's put it that way. In uh, it's weird. Even in like a movie like Ocean's Eleven, which is pretty <laughs> much, it's it's a lark too, right? But I feel like. Oh, Andy oh, Garcia is more of a intimidating, threatening villain, and mm-hmm. also I feel like the twists in that are way more nimble than this. Like Jeff said, he figured out that Cosmo wasn't dead pretty early on. Right. I feel like that's a foregone conclusion. Before, like just by even having that flashback scene at the beginning, you're like, well, that's gonna play into the movie later. That's like a checks all Chekhov's gun sort of. And the uh, the other deaths in the movie, like they happen like. Uh, off screen, off screen, or out of sight, like okay. uh, this, this, the 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 sign, yeah, the scientist that cracked the code. Load. He, they, you find out he's dead because of a newspaper uh, um, headline, and then the Russian ambassador, he's still in the car when they pull the trigger. Yeah, and I mean he's there, but he's you know, like you don't see, you don't see him get shot, but you know he gets shot because like you see the guy doing the shooting, but you don't see him like die. I don't want to say that. I don't want to. To seem like I don't think that Phil Alden Robinson's a good director because he's directed. I mean, Fields of Dreams is a great movie. I don't know if you guys, you guys, saw maybe the best baseball film. Of it's all it's fantastic, and um, he did the best Jack Ryan movie in my opinion, which was Some of All Fears. Right, I wanted to talk about that with you because yeah. I've only seen that in Hunt for Red October. I still think I like Hunt for Red October better, but it might be the Sam Neill and the Sean Connery of it. I know we were talking about this recently about how you're like he's a little overrated in that but i also agree that some of all fears is a good film it's it's a little uh underrated because it was around the time of julie and the then of her starring and everything so it does something in that movie pretty audacious that a lot of movies around that time when did that movie come out 2002 yeah there's a big terrorist attack in that movie and you would have thought they would have went back in and re-edited that but Mm -hmm. it was pretty audacious they kept it in the movie yeah. Um, a whole stadium gets blown up. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. civilians die, and there's a lot of nuclear fallout. Yeah, you think <clears throat> that Alex is gonna save everybody and he just doesn't get there in time. He doesn't. Yeah, great. It's kind of it's kind of like uh die hard too. When you think he's gonna save that plane full of passengers, right? Make it in time. Which I get which is weird that you said there's no stakes in this. That in and of itself in this in uh, some of all fears raises the stakes, right? Just like he couldn't save them. Doesn't mean he can save everybody. Yeah. Do you think it would have been more milk toast if the stadium was fine and he just goes to Russia to try to figure stuff out with Leif Schreiber? Leif Schreiber's really good. Yeah. Um, wait. What was your question? Uh, in some of all fears, would you think if that hadn't happened, the stadium not occurring, yeah. uh, and he just goes to Russia to try and infiltrate, you know, agencies and stuff, would it have been effective in any way? I felt you. It, it would have felt more run of the mill for yeah. sure. And because I kind of like, I kind of like movies where the heroes dropped into a, a situation in peril or into an environment of utter disaster, wanton disaster. Kind of like, um, it's not a movie that's really beloved, but like, I like the environment of Hard Rain because I like that the whole town is underwater. So mm-hmm. on top of trying to thwart the villain, there's environmental threats 
Right. So he's in a city that's in flames, basically, and people are rioting and looting and going nuts on top of trying to get to the villain. And he has this soul. Yeah. Yeah. So there are stakes around him, but you don't necessarily think they're affecting him unless it's just a, it's, that's a writing gambit that helps he's a, drive the tension. Yeah. But not necessarily the story. So I think in this, in, in uh, Sneakers, there's no tension because it's like, it's really only Redford that's in trouble. Like I, I was going to say this earlier, how he's at their party after they've had a success and he's like, we got to do this because then my name is cleared. If you don't do this with me, my name is not cleared and I am in trouble. Like, guys, can you do this for me? Just for and me. And everyone's like, I guess so. Yeah, but like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what he's, he's selling them on is like, hey, we're getting paid good money. And like, that's ultimately at, at the end of it, like, okay, we're getting good money. That's fine. Uh, really need that I guess we'll help you passion. save your past. Even though we didn't know that you had a past until this yeah. moment. But you deceitful motherfucker. That, that scene epitomizes what's wrong with the film because it's kind of just like a little selfish. Yeah. Not only that, how long have they been working together? We gotta do this. How he, long he's doing the together? They're doing something for like working specifically to make way Richard's more. Money. Just like I'm trying to get out of this shit, but I can't because the feds are after me. Can you guys yeah. like yeah. nobody had never hear from me again about any of this? Even though Sydney Porte worked for the CIA for how long? Yeah, there's a better film version of this. I think not to say that this is like a second draft where I had a fit. I just think that the improvements you're desiring would make this a better film, but I think this is already a fine film. It just isn't perfect. Right. Yeah. That's why the three of us are fine with it, but sure. right about a lot of this. Yeah. So it's just... I, and I feel like like the, these, these uh, are main... Uh, characters are supposed to feel mediocre mm -hmm. um like i feel like a sydney pointier's uh cia character or former cia character like i don't think like he's supposed to be because like everybody has this idea of like cia being all these like badasses that go on all these crazy wacky missions but really cia like a lot of the times is doing exactly what he's doing in the movie where they're sitting in a van and just surveilling or like there's other CIA agents who are just like basically paper, yeah, bureaucratic jobs. Like so, yeah. like it's not that secret agent lifestyle that we're accustomed to. So like, uh, there, there's this air of like these are kind of just like blue collar, blue collar guys doing a very unique job. Yeah. Um, here's the problem with that. You say they're supposed to be mediocre. You don't cast Sidney Poitier to be mediocre. Anything, any role you could. I don't think you could cast him to be pathetic in anything. He oh. just brings a natural dignity to everything. He's too elevated. Yeah. He's he's too elevated. I think, I think like he brings he bring like at the very least he brings the reality of what like CIA really is essentially because like you have Dan Aykroyd going on with like all these conspiracy theories about the CIA and then you see right. him just sit there's like that's not how we operate. That's not what we do. We don't do that. Like we just, right. I'm doing the job that I would have been doing right here right now. I think it's also just it's it's more realistic. Like if something like this happened, you know, these would be the guys to do it. It wouldn't be like people in spandex doing, you know, kickflips into a secret base. It would be Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier arguing about which entrance to go in. You take it as then, Mission Impossible. I'm saying this is better than Mission Impossible. <laughs> 
Excuse oh, me. that's a whole that's oh, a whole discussion oh, for another. Oh, That'll be for when we when we talk about Mission Impossible, we'll talk about that oh, one. Okay. Not the what, what, what movie does that come out? What year does that come out? 96. Okay, fine. So we got a, we got a little while. You're after hackers. I'm gonna relinquish the floor to uh, my distinguished friend Jimmy over here because one of his favorite movies of all time came out this month, Last of the Mohicans. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Such a good movie. I've, I watch it like a couple times a year. Like it's ridiculous. Wow. Uh, Tristan will come up at like what whatever time you wake up because I work overnight. Five in the morning. Yeah. All my days off. You'll, you'll come up. Mohicans. Like, Are you watching it again? Yes, I am. It's a it's a it's a lengthy movie and like you work overnights and you can't really do anything to watch the director's cut i honestly don't think i have because i think there's uh, two cuts i didn't even know that oh my god there's a second cut oh my god, oh my god no well michael mann likes to do that oh yeah well uh, he has a lot of that's a, okay we can start with that outlier for michael mann this isn't something you I mean, make michael mann you, you you guys go into like the more uh uh technical stuff about the uh directors and actors and whatnot but like i i genuinely love it just because of like uh for like the historical appreciation for this, it this is why i wanted this to be the one we covered this month because it's an outlier for michael mann yeah He's but this is not underrated for his crime dramas and everything and this Do you is you think this is underrated i think so at this point you ask anyone that's under 30 if they know about either of these films. Yeah. They probably don't know either. So that's why I was fine doing it. I don't think they know any of these movies from this month. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but Last of the Mohicans, if you ask even a fan of Michael Mann, I bet they'd be surprised that this is one he did. Yeah, but they'd probably be surprised he did Black Hat too, but that's because of Tanked. That's a different story. Yeah. No. Oh, Michael Mann's still alive? Oh, he did The Keep. I don't remember that. Okay. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk about the plot of Last Mohicans? In oh, case anyone yeah. never read it in it, high it's school. It's basically the uh, um, the Seven Years' War, <laughs> the French and Indian Wars, if you're American. Uh, reality, it was nine years, so people know. Um, but yeah, no, it takes place during that uh, that war. Uh, basically, its whole setup is um, just following um, the leads, uh, essentially trying to get um from one place to the next in the chaos of war on the frontier and um just running into um a lot of uh shenanigans via like there's your traditional like colonists war wartime bad guys the french they have to deal with you deal with them those frogs yeah those frogs just like pray but yeah no like there, there's a bit of a, a revenge plot with one of the uh, native americans because like he uh he his tribe got raided and he became a slave of the mohawks and then he like he pretended to like assimilate but really deep down he was still a um i forget which tribe he was from well it's part of the five nations right yeah the iroquois uh, confederacy west studies in this from uh, magua. magua i was close i just had to drop the i magua so magua is like a, a form basically a former slave uh of another tribe uh re-establishing himself in his original one by basically going on a war raids and while he's doing this like he has this revenge uh to uh kill a british general which he successfully does and like to wipe out his heirs on the earth 
his two daughters. So like he's, he, go, he goes on a manhunt across the American front, well, the American frontier at that time. Uh, it's, it's New York. It's, it's New York. New York. They, they, uh, it's they, like 20 miles from the city. Yeah, they talk, they talk about how they, uh, how, uh, they like to uh, trek out to Ohio and uh, trap and get fur. So like you get an idea of like how wide the frontier is for like people who live on it. Um, so basically it's a, a very long uh, <laughs> chase scene across the American wilderness. And um, it's a long movie, but like if you really enjoy like historical dramas and uh, historical action, uh, this is this is good. I like I like I like it's actually shorter than sneakers. <laughs> really? It's 112 minutes. Oh wow. So as uh, that's a regular um, you didn't mention his romance with Cora Monroe. I was getting I thought you, you kind of yeah. tailed off. I'm yeah, sorry. I tailed off. Uh, two months, this is two months after uh, we showcased her in Unlawful Entry, which is Madeline's stuff. Yeah. So, like, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a romance between uh, our lead, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Not to be confused with Hawkeye Pierce from MASH. Who is, or Hawkeye from the Who Avengers. is actually nicknamed after this Hawkeye, which yeah. is yeah, so right? in yeah. Mash, his father was a big fan of uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who wrote who wrote the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So it was based on a book, yeah. um, which I probably should read. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd like to read it. Actually. Yeah. Sometimes in high school, that's why I mentioned if you never read it. But and like the irony is that like series, you you have you have a uh, Native American character who was like basically captured and assimilated into another tribe. And then you have a white dude who was an orphan on the frontier and was like adopted into a family and assimilated to the Native American culture. So like you got a white dude who's Indian. That's why it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. But yeah, no, like he's on the frontier doing his thing and then meets this lady of England. And, uh, you know, like. They go through some uh, troubles and like they both form a bond and like, hey, we could die at any moment. So why the hell not? Let's fall in love, which is basically how it goes out there. Yeah. I don't know. The romance is all right. I actually like her sister and the other. Oh, yeah. Guy. the, uh, the uh, Her younger sister and the uh, and his adopted brother, I feel like have more job. more of a. Uh, um romantic um tragic tra oh, quality i think yeah. i think it also like plays into like uh the real life history like how how like taboo that actually really is like a white woman falling in love with like anyone of color anyone of color <laughs> um so like i feel like there's more um more emotion behind their their like their non-romance because like you you see how like they make eye contact they like brush hands every now and then like you you see there's something forming yeah. but it never gets to happen because um obviously war. the father would never let it happen yeah obviously the father would but he died anyway so yeah. it doesn't matter so like it could have happened but then like ultimately um the younger sister chose to die rather than be uh ostracized oh, no. no she was gonna be she was gonna be sold off she was gonna That's be right. uh she was gonna be a, right. she was essentially gonna be a love slave sex slave uh, so she chose death over slavery and um she jumps on that cliff yeah and then uh the adopted brother of Hawkeye 
uh, sees this and like basically he has his own little revenge plot and he goes full-blown kamikaze and takes out a bunch of dudes and like he goes he goes out in a blaze of glory i'll tell you you don't automatically associate daniel day lewis with action hero mm-hmm. he quits himself pretty good in this yeah and like it, action scenes are really good and and like it's it's really great because like uh in the movie like most people traditionally like wouldn't really go for like a colonial era action because like it involves muskets and that takes time to load the damn thing in the yeah. first place so like they in this movie they really u- utilize the uh, um close combat nature of fighting um Mine not only like, like that because because they do establish that hawkeye is a marksman like he he has the name hawkeye for a reason because he could shoot real good uh but like um once when you take that shot like what are you going to do? Just like, they're going to fill the time in the movie with them. Like, really, like, no, they really take full advantage of the fact that like, yeah, it's going to get brutal. You're going to, you're going to start using that rifle as a club. <laughs> and like, also they have on hand knives and tomahawks and like, uh, you're, you're not just watching a traditional like colonial battle all the time where it's just like guys lined up against a bunch of other guys lined up. Uh, you actually see most, most of the traditional battles is more of a battle of a, artillery versus fortification mm-hmm. and then after that it's uh it's basically it's, it's basically um the movie follows the uh when it comes to like at battles after the um fort fort scene yeah it follows more the style of like how native american and frontiersmen actually fought it's a little gorilla yeah it's more it's way more because you're in the forest and and obviously you can't line up and there's hills Mm -hmm. so it's like it's like take your shots and you charge or you take a shot to you dip out and like it's just yeah it's a very interesting thing especially if you don't know this time period um you get to understand combat and what it was like because we have stuff like the patriot and you understand the famous big battle war scenes that happen there but it's it's nice to be like on the ground in the face of these people it's like when you when you watch World War II movies before Saving Private Ryan and you realize how sanitized those battles are staged. And then right. when you watch Saving Private Ryan and it's so like virtuosic and gruesome and everything, it's kind of mm-hmm. like watching this and seeing how visceral the battles were. Yeah. yeah. Opposed to how they staged them before that. Yeah. Right. I mean, this, even this even, opened up a night. Even, even still, like now, like uh, after after Last Mohicans, you're like, you'll still <clears> see like, movies or even miniseries where like um it still still feels very staged and like uh hokey because like thinking into the west oh i'm thinking i just recently started watching sharp it's british oh the uh the one with ed edmund sharp or whatever that that robert has... sharp uh, oh yeah okay no, the, i'm thinking of something else no no um not it, with guy pierce right no uh game of thrones Oh, Sean Bean. Yeah, Sean was, Bean. yeah, I was thinking yeah. the right thing. So, uh, yeah, no, I've been watching a lot of. Uh, He'll be dead soon. So, yeah, I've been watching a lot of in the episodes show. of uh, in the show. In the show. And like that move, that that series takes place during the Napoleonic Wars. And like, as fun as it is to watch, like some of the battles and some of the fight scenes, um, it it comes off as a little um, stagey, stagey, and a little hokey. Yeah. Um, Especially as like the one-on-one combat. Um, well, it's the budget. It's they have for Sharp isn't 
why yeah and also so, they're stretching it out across like i think uh, they, i don't even know how many episodes. they made like 20 movies that's actually yeah. what happened so it wasn't really a series that's why i don't think he actually will die because this is his longest running role yeah uh, so it's it's just like a bunch of like every few years they'll make a new shark yeah. movie so, so it's funny that like that, that comparison that, that comparison to uh um saving private ryan and other world war ii movies versus like last of the mohicans in any colonial era or like pre-modern uh uh firearm combat <laughs> it's like i feel like if more shows and movies followed that standard like you you have better action scenes like yeah like, oh yeah probably like, the revenant the yeah. revenant owes a little bit to this um I think you'd like Prey. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, no, no, that's another thing. I, I want to I watch Prey uh, yeah. get to that soon. But, like, uh, another thing is, like, as much as, like, I'm a history nerd, like, yeah, sure, this takes place during the Seven Years' War. Like, it kind of just falls into the back backdrop, and, like, you just kind of forget because, like... As an individual focus. Yeah, because like we yeah, the... at the time, like, the, 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 American, the American perspective is that, like, we're, we're basically fighting this war for... Britain for king and country uh well the British perspective because they do say this in the movie itself and like it's in the history books like and the British are there like like they say it from their perspective too like yeah no we're here to protect you guys from the French and the Americans are like we really don't give a fuck it's just like we just want to be left alone yeah uh, we just want to do our thing and we're just we're we're, we're just a product of uh imperialism yeah and it's weird because like earlier on in the movie you see these American settlers playing lacrosse with their native american neighbors like they were they were reasonably getting along mm -hmm. um and then yeah, like once when the war kicks off like you see like certain tribes team up on one side certain tribes team up on the other and like it's just like uh it's like one like one big tragedy after the other um especially when all these frontiersmen are like being like forced to fight a war that they don't care about right um and they're like what about our homes somebody has to protect our homes because we're again we're on the frontier like raiding parties will come in and like destroy our families the people that we are supposed to be fighting for and we can't protect them yeah and if nothing else i think this is a good look at what it's like when a war starts especially if you're on the home front america doesn't get a lot of history of that yeah. because we often went overseas and so when it's on our back door that's why the civil war is obviously the most poignant for americans because it was neighbors fighting neighbors and brothers fighting brothers and that sort of thing was happening then before we were even a country because then you're like why are we fighting this and yeah. the revolutionary war was coming because we're like why are we fighting wars like this when we liked these people like we're just being told to kill our neighbors and leave our homes undefended <laughs> And then for what? And then like uh, you you see like bad <coughs> players like Magua like he he's right. just he's he's just angry and vindictive but like he, he he's a sympathetic villain you could reason like yeah no I get where he's coming from like I would probably do the same thing I would probably go on like go out and fulfill my revenge fantasy especially when the world's going to shit and like you know you got people backing you he was backed by the french yeah nothing uh, to lose yeah nothing to lose so like yeah and like and it turns out like um i'm pretty sure like his people his tribe they're 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 dying out um mm -hmm. so like they're struggling to get by and then like you know the title of the movie the last of the <clears throat> uh you think it's like oh this is 
white savior. It's not a white savior movie. Like you could like you could argue it, but like I highly doubt it is because like he was raised like, amongst them, so it would be yeah. like it's not like he's an outsider coming and in. And really, he he's not like how is he a white savior? He's not saving his tribe when his father, his adopted father, is the last of the Mohicans. Like yeah, he's favorite, a, he's the last. Like that's it. Like my favorite part is when Russell Means turns to Daniel Day Lewis and he goes, "I am." The last of the Mohicans, and then we. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part. And and like the thing is like, at the end of the at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, like the only, the only person that he manages to save is his love interest. That's it. And like even even his adopted father, he turns to him and is like, "That's it. I'm the last of my people. You're the future now. Like, do with your life what you can, because like ultimately, it's all about survival at this point. Like." there's nothing left like we'll find you that's the big line so, of the movie so uh, even though the movie has a happy ending for the leads um it it's not really a good feel movie because you know like a generation later there's going to be it's a revolution or the war of independence yeah so, so like, even and, even without talking about the seven years war that's what's in the back of everyone's mind because we know about the revolution. Yeah, and like, they, and they even set it up from the very beginning, like the uh, the discontent between the British and the American colonists. Like, you you start seeing the seeds being sown for like what will eventually become America. Because like, there's like we're we're dissatisfied with how you're running things. So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank God he's a kid, America. America. Yeah. About this movie. Really, the, uh, uh, America is a thing because the British suck at just management. We got to reel him back in. Well, <laughs> down with monarchy. Like, yeah. no. Down with monarchy. Hey, funny I'm story. A joke about the Queen. I'm barely holding it in. Uh, <clears throat> so what else came out this month? Okay. So yeah, it's one of Jimmy's favorite movies, and it's a yeah, A plus. Yeah, no, A plus plus. Like I, like, I watched that movie a couple times a year. It's got to be in your top five. There's something to capture Jimmy's attention multiple times yeah, no, over the course to, of a year. Shut up and just zone out for a couple hours. Just plug that movie in, and I'll be like, okay. I'm out. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> I would give it an put it on for him right now. So it's a good, <laughs> it's a good Netflix and chill movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you love this movie? <clears throat> I, I would assume you. Oh do, no, I do love the movie. It's uh, like it's it's like watching um, like Martin Scorsese do Age of Innocence. It's not something I would have thought was tailor made for him, yeah. but he excels in it. Maybe it's sometimes it's better to take like an unorthodox director and marry him with material that you wouldn't normally associate with. Right. I think that's what happened here. Take their talents to another genre. because he's very painstaking in his uh crime dramas like he's very meticulous with how the movie looks and the production design this movie is amazing um and it ha it's breathlessly paced the action scenes are amazing and daniel day lewis like i said I, I wouldn't associate him with action but when it does become pretty bloody and gruesome it's it's actually sometimes it's kind of stomach churning at times especially yeah. the, the suicide off the cliff yeah mm -hmm. Or cutting, cutting, um, cutting somebody's heart out of their chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's like Rambo: Last Blood. It's just like that. Oh, and a dude gets scalped. You see a guy get scalped. Well, yeah, it's pretty. 
Yeah, that was a little yeah, rough. It's, 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 it's like the it, beginning of hostage. That's how gruesome the frontier was. I actually will say one other thing about this. With the romance with Cora, um, there's this tenderness. They could have easily gone into some schmaltzy sex in romance, but there's this tenderness to their romance scene where it's like just by candlelight, you almost can't see anything. They can't even see their faces. So once right. itself oh. to the idea of what it's like, Back then, you just did things in the dark, and you were and also, you were also feeling each other the, for real. And like it's, it's. I'm glad you brought that up uh, with that with that like tender love scene that they have, um, fully clothed by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're doing, it, there's like they're doing this at the fort before they set out on their journey or the second half of their journey, and like. In the background is like artillery going off, like they're, yeah. they're like they just in the midst of war. Like you, yeah, you got I, that. yeah, I saw this after it, bang one but it reminded me of the film Enemy of the Gates when Jude Law and uh, Vice, I think, or is it Joseph Fiennes? Two two of them have sex like next to everyone else. Oh yeah, and so it, that was Jude Law. Okay, it was Jude Law at that point. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a little while. That's a good one, but it reminded me of that, even though I saw. Enemy first. You just uh, see people writhing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it reminded me of that because you have the war in the background, and you're having you have to have this poignant connection amidst this danger. So I think it ramps up the adrenaline you're having. I'm sure. Sure. Anyway. So yeah, it's a great movie. Um, but again, I, I still don't think this was underrated, Jeff, that we could have talked about. Like it's one of Jimmy's favorite movies. Yeah, I think a lot of people love it. Um, it's a well-polished gem, but well-polished. It's got <clears throat> it too much these days. So, yeah. Um, John Landis tried to do for vampires what he did for werewolves with uh, Innocent Blood. Does anybody know this movie? Never heard of it. It's another horror comedy that John Landis did. Um, also, but it's about this female vampire in New York who. Uh, feeds on um, like mob enforcers, and if, eventually she she bites the uh, the kingpin, which is played by uh, Robert Loja. Okay, he becomes a vampire. He's really good in the movie. It's like one of the best villain roles of the nineties. Uh, the movie's a lot of fun. It's not as good as uh, American Werewolf, but who's who's the vampire? Uh, the girl from I can't pronounce her name. Anna, she's French. She was in uh, La Femme Nikita. Anna Pelud, Pelud, Peloud. I don't remember her name. I know who you're talking about. He doesn't. He doesn't navigate the tones as well in this, hmm. and it's never really scary. But uh, in fact, some of the times when the vampires are are <laughs> go in a feral mode, their eyes are. They're wearing like neon contacts and their eyes go cockeyed, which is unintentionally funny. Mm. But uh, it's enjoyable nonetheless. Any perio. Yeah. Today we're talking about. And she, she's, uh, well, I'm going to get flagged for that on YouTube. <laughs> um, she's naked. She's naked in about 60% of the movie. So if you want that, there's also that bonus. Great. For Jimmy. <laughs> Because for Jimmy's purient interest. Yeah. For research. For, yeah. research. for his anatomical research. 
Mr. Saturday Night. I understand the human. Speaking figure. of David Paymer, Mr. Saturday Night came out. The uh, directorial debut of Billy Crystal. He's basically playing a Borscht Belt comedian, kind of like a Don Rickles insult comic, and you chronicle his life. This was Billy Crystal's big uh, passion project. He thought this was going to win him an Oscar. I know. And the thing that came out of it was David Paymer got a nomination. He did. David Paymer kind of famous. Yeah. I think, yeah, this was his first big role. Yeah. Billy Crystal. He had been in stuff before that, but this was like. Nothing huge. No. Um, Just kind of funny. And also. It's a good movie. Because we just had Billy Crystal come back to Broadway doing a uh, stage adaptation of Mr. Saturday Night. He got a Tony nomination, though, finally. Yeah. He's probably more age-appropriate for the later stages of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Where he's wearing a lot of old-age makeup. Yeah. But uh, it's a good movie. It's not great. Billy Crystal in the 90s was trying to mix pathos with his humor a lot, and sometimes it would get a little mawkish. Yeah, I didn't like this very much. Yeah, like City Slickers is another ver- I know that's a great movie to some people, but I feel like the tone is inconsistent way off. Yeah, uh, it's boring how much that goes back and forth. Yeah. I think City Slickers is better. It's yeah. It's it's better, but there's scenes where like Daniel Stern has a gun pointed at a guy and then wow, a stampede with cattle. I'm like <laughs> this is all over the place. I'm getting whiplash from this movie. Yeah. Um, Cameron Crowe's singles, which sometimes I I do a disservice to uh, Reality Bites by mistaking it with this movie because I watched this movie this week for the first time. And it's really? Like, it's horrendous. Oh, yeah. You didn't like it's it? It's hipster garbage. We watched it two years ago because well, uh, it's one of Rebecca's favorite films. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it does not hold up. If it ever, if it was ever good in the first place, she agrees, but she still likes it for the nostalgia. Yikes! Um, I like it fine, but it's a little stilted. Especially you bring up uh, tone differentiation. Hedgewick <laughs> uh, has the miscarriage. It's not a comedy anymore. Yeah, because there's a scene where Bridget Fonda is like makes an obscene phone call to the wrong number. I'm like, I saw oh. that punchline coming a mile away. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about when she goes to... And also, uh, it doesn't make... They don't... Certain characters don't exist on the same plane of existence. Because uh, you got the Kira Sedgwick character who feels very real. But then you also have the Matt Dillon character who feels like a caricature. And they don't... They don't feel like they're occupying the same space. Mm-hmm. Movie. Yeah. Oh, it took me a while to remember this movie. Yeah, really, like once you said Matt Dillon, like oh wait, there we go. Now I remember. Yeah, yeah it's all that, that apartment building is uh, sort of famous in the cinema world. A lot of um, grunge bands and other people go there as like a little mecca to honor the grunge movement starting. Because this, the the best thing that came out of this is that soundtrack. Pearl Jam was in it, and all all of them. Allison Chains is in it. In the in the grunge scene, which was just emerging around this time, like Nirvana becomes famous like in two weeks yeah. after the film comes out. Pearl Jam's uh, is it Versus comes out like two months later, yeah. and so they skyrocket. And then Singles becomes this cult classic because it looks like the birthplace of all this. 
and Cameron Crowe just sort of got lucky. Uh, he's what he's one. Of, he he's famous for his needle drops, and the soundtrack is good. Yeah, I think that's the only thing this movie will be remembered for is the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> School ties came out this month. This is the one I actually last minute tried to get us all to make as the film of this month. It's it's okay. It's not bad. It gets a little didactic because it, they start to play the the movie uh, is kind of rudderless for the most part. It doesn't really start to have kind of a overall overall plot. Yeah, I kind of look at it as it's supposed to be a memoir, so it's a lot. Of, disjointed episodes from this guy's college career but then it starts to uh it become a movie about bigotry and prejudice against um the jews during that time and then it gets a little preachy but brendan fraser is really good in the lead you can see a lot of early roles for uh, matt damon and ben affleck i think this is the movie they they first their first movie together yeah, I believe so. And this is kind of the breakout role for all three of them. Before, obviously, Goodwill Hunting, but yeah, it's the one where people are like, oh, who are these guys? Yeah. And it's sort of like in the same vein of Dead Poets Society, right? It's in that genre, at least. Yeah. So, if you like that, I, I hear you'd like this. Yeah. And uh, this is before, you know, Brendan Fraser was doing a lot of wacky comedies, so you get to see him do drama. We did Encino Man like two months ago. Yeah. So, so he he hasn't been afforded a lot of chances to do drama during that time period. So, um, husbands and wives came out, the uh, Woody Allen movie. Um, very good movie. I watched it a couple months ago. Uh, he he shoot he shoots it very uh, cinema verite, so it's a lot of handheld, kind of like um, deconstructing Harry in a way, which maybe we'll talk about down the line. But uh, it's very perceptive, very astute. Uh, it's vintage Woody Allen from that time period. It's about uh, marital woes and uh, <laughs> what was he? What was going on in his life around now? Oh, well, around this time was the controversy with uh, Sun Yi and um, Mia Farrow. So this was the last movie <laughs> that she was going to be in with him. Yeah. Um, I think they were planning on doing another movie, and I think at one point she said, "So I'll see you on the set." And he's like. Why would I see you on the set? You're you're taking me to court and saying that I'm less than a child. Why would I see you on set? You're clearly fired. <laughs> no. We don't have a working relationship anymore. That kind of, in hindsight, you don't think about those things because it's not at the top of the headlines right now. But I'm sure that overshadowed the release of the movie when this came out. Yeah, yeah that's what... At least the documentary was pointing out, like it, it sort of bombed this movie for good reason. <laughs> so. Right. Um, and I, there is a subplot about them wanting to have children in the movie, so there's also that that mm-hmm. over the movie. Well, we were going to cover all this. Jeff and I wanted to do. We were we were very brave. We're do a Woody Allen podcast, right? Yeah, we were very brave to choose to do this podcast, but we're we're still working at the kinks. To, to figure out if we're going to do a Woody Allen podcast at all. Right. Um, here's, a, here's a movie that some people look on fondly. Uh, Captain Ron. Do you, anybody remember Captain Ron? I never, never saw it. Okay. 
Well, basically, the thing is, they get uh, Martin Short is the straight man, and Kurt Russell is the wacky captain of a boat that he inherits. And I'm thinking, why don't you reverse those roles? And then we got yeah. some. <laughs> uh, not to say that Kurt Russell can't be funny, but. Just, yeah, but he could be funny as a straight man. It isn't surprising. I think Martin Short as a straight man is just not the correct decision. <sighs> yeah. For a second, I thought you said Martin Sheen, and I want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, he's reprising his role from Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> He's shell-shocked. He's like, you look like one of the Viet Cong, baby. <laughs> one-eyed bastard. Yeah. Um, it's it's not good. It doesn't hold up. Yeah. Uh, Hellraiser 3 came out this Hell month. Hell on Earth. Yeah, Hell on Earth. Yeah, that's right. That's something. Yeah. Um, they turn it into a generic slasher movie. Whereas this, I wasn't a huge fan of the second one. The first one, I think, is a great movie. I love the first one. The first one's great. Um, the second one, they start to demystify the Cenobites a little bit. And they, yeah. The movie's really anticlimactic with how they get uh, killed in that movie, in my opinion. But in this one, it just becomes like another slasher movie. At one point, there's a there's a Cenobite towards the end that's shooting CDs. I'm like, I vaguely remember that. It lost its whole SM allure. Like Clive Barker clearly had nothing to do with this one. This was, I think it was New Line at the time, mm-hmm. or Miramax, one, one of those took over the franchise, and they're just like, we're going to make it into the next big horror franchise. Like, you know, Nightmare hey, on Wait till we go to space. That's the next one. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're rebooting. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. they're, in- they're rebooting yeah. it right now. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're rebooting it right now without Doug Bradley. Are you interested in that? Because I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with a female pinhead. Yeah, I, I have nothing wrong with that. I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with the casting, but the last few times they've done it without Doug Bragley, it's been horrible. Yeah. And honestly, it's one of the, this, this never should have been a franchise because what they've done with it is kind of what they <clears throat> did with the Dracula movies, which is they would come up with a story first and then take pre existing scripts and then fit the Cenobites into them. Yeah. So there would be certain sequels where Pinhead doesn't show up for more than like three minutes. You're just like, does he really have anything to do with the plot? Mm. It seems like they're perpendicular to one another. They don't even... <clears throat> I remember thinking when I first saw it that I know Pinhead is iconic now, but yeah. if it had other Pinhead adjacent Cenobites in each film there's a new centibite to face that might have made it might have made it work i don't know yeah. but that's now only in hindsight i saw that in like 2008 yeah so but the, but yeah. all these sequels and stuff yeah, but like in the first movie there's not a big body count by this by this point in the franchise they were trying to make them slashes like they're out in the real world killing people and it's <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> it, it lost the whole appeal of that Clive Barker source material, which hopefully is what they're trying to go back to in this new one. Yeah. If they do a straight adaptation of um, God, what's the, what's it called? The Hellbound Heart. Mm. Hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll bring that back. And I think he has like an executive producer credit, so I think. Yeah, it sounds better than the Firestarter remake. Yeah. Um. 
that concludes the uh, other movies this month. So let's get to Jeff's favorite feature, poster movie. Oh boy. My time to shine, maybe. Oh, one of these, and this isn't a spoiler, but one of these I thought maybe could have been the movie we spotlighted this month. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. Let's see if we can uh, get this. There we go. That worked perfectly. See, I made it work. This is the one. Oh, God. What is this, Bruce Springsteen's origin story? (laughs) It's a dude standing on a granite pedestal with a guitar leaning up against a flagpole with a giant flag that is wrapped around a probably naked man staring off into the sunset. American flag. American flag. What did I say? You just said flag. American flag. Sorry. You're fine. Yes, because this is this colors. This, this is definitely like because it's America. America movie. This is what Last of the Mohicans is. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is well, the direct the sequel to Last of the Mohicans. Last to the musicians. <laughs> um, all right, so it's about a guy, obviously, country singer, like origin thing. Um, it's just some guy bearing his soul to the American flag and just loving loving God, country, and music. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking... I, I, do, I have no idea what the plot could be other than like he gets mixed up in some shenanigans or it's just a drama uh, where he's trying to prove what he can do. It looks like Trying to figure out who that is. It looks like Freddie Prince Jr. a bit. Why does it look like a guitarist is wrapped up in the American flag? Because he's an immigrant trying to hug, get the country to hug him. No. You went the opposite way. No, did I? Okay. Not the opposite. Because he's, 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 so wholeheartedly American that he wraps himself up. I actually don't know. In the flag. You've never seen it, right? No, I never saw I'm it. I'm the only person that's seen it. The, Probably. The man, the myth, the legend. This is. I feel like this is. If Johnny Cash met Jackass, mm-hmm. that's what this movie would be. I don't know. I like, don't think that's it. Johnny Cash. If, if Walk the Line. Had Johnny Knoxville in it. Um, all right, I'm trying to think. Is that Tim Robbins? Wow! Hey, how the hell did you know that? It's the haircut. I'm like, it's either got to be like, holy Christ, man! I almost fudged his hair a little so that you wouldn't get that. I actually thought that might give it away. Wow, but then man. I thought, okay, it's a whole body picture. Maybe he won't focus on. Well, the, the hairline normally wouldn't, but I'm like, all right, time period. It has to be someone. Yeah. So you thought about it. You use context clues. I, I did. I'm getting better. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, that's good. You're getting points for that one. So, um, all right. so before we go on, I'll give you a tagline. What would you call this? Just based on this basic image. America. No. Um, Last thing he something an American something an American an American tale. An American, Fievel goes <laughs> American tale. Fievel goes Fievel goes, goes country. Yeah. Fievel goes, goes south. Oh my God, Mister Smith. 
Um, American Dreams. No, that was Kevin Costner. Oh. That was the thing. I mean, that was going to be my other guess was Kevin Costner. Um, oh, because of Bull Dorm? But pl- uh, pl- Play On. Or just, just Country Heart. Con- country Strong. And American in oh. America. All right, I'm going to give you a tagline. Okay, give me a tagline. He gets involved in the mafia somehow. Vote first, ask questions later. Oh. Uh-oh. That is scary. Yeah. It's too early to be man of the year. Uh, Oh, God. That's 05. Yeah. Which I actually love that movie, but that's another thing. What? For worst film. Talk about that later. Uh, Vote first, ask questions later. Okay, this is... So Tim Robbins is a musician running for president. Wow. And... that it? I don't know. He gets... He he puts up a hard battle, does not ultimately win. He's not running for president, but he's running for U.S. Senate. He runs for... Close enough for me. Okay. That's what the plot was, so... Okay. He's he's for U.S. Senate. He's trying to change the world, but doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's just one good guy in a bad situation Honestly, with a guitar. You pretty, much, you pretty much got the rest of this. You're never really, really? going to get the title, but now that you sort of know the plot, what would you call this kind of film? Mr. Mitchell. I don't know. Um, At least you got it that it's the character's name. Run. Yeah. Born to Run. I like that better. Because it looks like a Springsteen thing. Yeah, you're going to get a better... You get points for that. Okay. Real well on this one. So here's another tagline. Coming to a Senate near you. Yeah, in case you didn't get... So he was running for something. uh, This would have given you Senator. In concert. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. There's Tim Robbins. In case you didn't know him right away, I was going to have you guess. He kind of looks like RDJ in that one. Bob Roberts. (laughs) wasn't that meatloaf's name in in fight club no it's um robert paul robert paulson okay which is a real life voice actor so when oh "Oh, rob paulson died i'm like oh my god the voice actor yeah the guy yakko yeah um you are roberts given that bruce springsteen is beloved then and now uh, I think Born to Run would have been a better title in 92. Uh, yeah. Bob he's, Roberts tells you nothing about the movie. Yeah, I only know that it's about politics in the first place because of this poster. Right. And I just heard that Tim Robinson done a political film in the 90s. So yeah, I didn't really know what the plot was, but you, do you like it, Corey? It's good. Um, it's a, it's almost, it's shot mockumentary style. Huh. But hmm. it gets a it starts off with a really good satirical edge, but it gets more serious as it goes along, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and he directed it as well. Oh, that's awesome. And if memory serves, it might be the first role for Jack Black in a movie. Interesting. Oh, wow. Um, one of his, um, one of the people in his uh, council is Alan Rickman. Oh, that's who I was going to bring up, yeah. And Giancarlo Esposito. Another one. He was actually pretty big in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's good, but it, it decelerates as a good one. Hmm. I think that's like what man I mean. of the year. 
That movie had no acceleration at all. There was no engine in that. Yeah. Okay. So, round two. It's a naked dude behind a sign and a necktie on a cell phone in a tree. Sitting next to him on one side is a squirrel, and on the other side is some woman with a gun. I forgot that. I don't know who the actress is, and I feel really bad about that. You're you're never going to get her. I'm never going to get her. She doesn't even have a Wikipedia article. She. All right. She's in Mighty Ducks. Okay, let me. I don't know. It looks like a camp sign, but it's it's not. It's clearly like someone. This woman is holding her real estate agent hostage. Yeah. Or something. Tree nuts. That looks like. Where is he? He's in a tree. He's on. Oh, in somewhere in like northern. No, no. What part of the tree? Physically. He's on the branch. Oof. <laughs> on the branch. Is this like called branching out? Is there a pun here? Think of a goofier. Yeah, what's an idiot? Like out on a limb. Oh, hey! wow. He got it. I mean, come on. <laughs> also, yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess. I think that's. Uh, it's not Christian Slater. Uh, Matthew Broderick. Wow. He got both actors today. That one looks a little easier. I, yeah. Just looking at it, I should have gotten rid of the nose. So. Yeah. It looks creepier with the, with the nose. I'm trying to think what else you could. There's not really anything else. I'll just show you. They have a really lengthy tagline. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to read it, but he's got 24 hours to find his missing wallet with a phone number worth a hundred million dollars. There's only one place he hasn't looked. God. Matthew Broderick out on a limb. Who is yeah. who is the actress? I don't even remember her name. Heidi King. Aunt Heidi. She was in Money Ducks one and three. Huh. Oh, John C. Riley's in this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is one. Hey. Of his- On top of that, this is a Ferris Bueller reunion because uh, Jeffrey Jones is in it. <laughs> I didn't give you really a chance to guess a plot, so I won't demerit you for that. But what would you have done with a film called Out on a Limb? Honestly, I already forget the plot that the tagline describes. Okay. So. He's a finance guy who has blacked out, wakes up in the middle of the Pacific Northwest with nothing but a cell phone and a necktie. And a squirrel wakes him up by dropping a nut on him. And that sets him off on a grand adventure to find out what the fuck's going on. And he runs and then there's mafia involvement because yeah. there's always mafia involvement. Yeah, especially, yeah, there's just always. So. It's also, and it's always either mafia or superheroes. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. So cool. It's barely released. You had a really good uh poster. escaped. Yeah. Horrible. Thanks, man. Well, I put in the notes and then forgot to ask what we were gonna do for our picks of the month. So we could we could workshop this real quick right now. Uh given that it's an ensemble cast for sneakers, I actually was gonna think. See, I thought we were going to go with, with uh, Robert Redford. Robert Redford would be the easiest. I wasn't sure for him either. But because it's because it's an ensemble cast, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't want to focus on like Dan Aykroyd specifically. Let's do Redford. I wasn't sure if we'd done him for our second episode either. Yeah, let's do Redford because like if we go okay. with, uh, 
Daniel Day Lewis. I feel like Daniel Day Lewis will come up again. Yeah. Yeah. I've do a lot of in the nineties, so okay, cool. Yeah, I already know I already know my Robert Redford. You should know what my Robert Redford is. I I know what mine is. Mine's uh Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, I want to see that. It's a great actually it's probably Sydney Portier's uh or Sydney, no, Sydney Portier. Sydney Pollock's best directing effort. And uh Redford, it's actually more rugged than you would think, because normally uh Redford kind of plays like the uh, the serene hero. He actually, he actually has a bit of there's a little bit of bloodlust in that second half of the movie. Hmm. Uh, it's very much a survivalist western, kind of like anti western. Yeah, I can get it. Didn't it come out after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? It did, and that probably would have been my first choice, but I know somebody else is going to pick it. It kind of flips his character a little bit, so. Uh, do you have a guess on what mine is? Because I didn't need to even look. I bet I think I know. I was gonna say okay. downhill racer. Yeah, so downhill racer is the uh, is the favorite. Really? Uh, have you ever heard of that? It's he plays a uh, Olympic hopeful uh, skier, and his coach is played by Gene Hackman. And he's actually it's it's also sort of against type. He's kind of an asshole to he women. Is an asshole. <laughs> And he, he's sort of gaslighting his girlfriend and it's playing off of the barefoot in the park charmer that he played when he was a young man with Jane Fonda. It's, it's flipping that kind of ideal of his charisma where he, he's ignorant of his own uh, gaslighting. And when he realizes what he's doing, he doesn't give a shit. Mm. And Gene Hackman tries to steer him back towards the straight and narrow. Being a skier is kind of funny. You know what um, I like about it? It's very elliptical. Yeah. Like they don't spell things out for you. Right. It's almost like you're a fly on the wall. Yeah. It's, it's all in the looks between Hackman and Redford. It's not me. full of sports cliches. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, you didn't, do you remember who the director is? Uh, off the top of my head, I forget. Is it Frankenheimer? It's uh, Michael Ritchie. Michael Ritchie. Okay. What else, what else did he do? He did Fletch. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he did Fletch, uh, Bad News Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually did another really good movie with um, Robert Redford called The Cannon. I've heard that's good. Yeah. And he did another great movie with uh, Gene Hackman called Prime Cut. Mm-hmm. They were both in Bridge Too Far, too. Both Redford and Hackman. Hackman. Yeah, they were both in that, too. Wow. Okay. I still need to see that. Is that what you're going to do again? I was going to. Uh, yeah, no, two, I knew it. I was going to say. Two months in a row. Yeah, I was going to say. Bridge was like, wait a minute. I did that before. And it was last month. Was last no, month, I can't yeah. do that. I can't. I, I, Dude, I, there's too many people in that movie. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an all-star cast. It's yeah. Just, like, it's crazy. But, like, for me, it, it'll you know be my second choice. At least we're bringing them up. Like, yeah. we don't have to choose Bush Cassidy, but, you know. I'm going to go with Grace. For, for me. What do you think? You're going to go with what? Yeah. The 1973 Great Gatsby. Okay. Oh wow! I think because I think that's the first movie that I remember seeing him in because like uh, yeah. okay, I love it, but I liked him in it, and I think I need to revisit it. Yeah. Who's, who's the woman in there? Um, uh, I'll look it up while Jeff talks. No, I was gonna say all the president's men. Ah, that's it. There that's you go. Probably his best. That's the. Well, that was the first thing that I saw him in. Hey, speaking I of like, Sophia Farrell. 
Oh, it was Mia Farrow, of course. Yeah. I knew I I knew I'd seen her recently in my head. Well, he's done too many classics. It's hard to pick. I'm surprised nobody picked the Sting. Sting is great as well. I like the Sting by the lower rate, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, he's done a lot of great, great films. Um, we loved The Old Man and the Gun, and that was that was a great movie. Um, I'm trying to think what other films. one of the best last movies to end career on. A lot yeah. of people retire on garbage. Gene Hackman, for instance. Uh-huh. Welcome to Mooseport. Could have done one more. <laughs> one more, man. He still, still could. Yeah. Uh, I did want to take this moment to point out, I know the Edgars aren't our hallmark or anything, but my plan had been actually to give our Lifetime Achievement Award to Robert Redford this year. Is he going to kill him? For his, well. You know what him. happens when you do that. They last at least five years. I've never had anyone die. Actually, now that we did this podcast, he's going to be dead by the time this is published. Well, the way this podcast has been going, that's what we were worried about. <laughs> but we already took care of City Boy. <laughs> so I guess that's the dead person for this. For now. So, Unless Dan Aykroyd dies within the next month. That'd be crazy. Oh, no. Well, on that note. Now that we put that into the ether, thanks, Corey. Jesus. I want we can see GI. That's what he gets when my stepmom is dealing All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Anyway, thank you for uh, <laughs> listening to our podcast about sneakers. I know we all enjoyed ranting about how great it is. Uh, next month, we're going to go into a film that I think all of us know won't be that great. But October, again, I feel like I've never seen it. Month. But it's tough to know if a hidden gem is actually a hidden gem until you dig it up. So uh, we're watching a film that barely came out called There Goes the Neighborhood. Uh, Jeff heard the synopsis and was like, that sounds great. Let's do that one. So, Which movie? There, there Goes <laughs> the Neighborhood. You remember right. 10 months ago when we chose all these? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're blaming Jeff. This sucks. Yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> I will happily take the blame. Yeah. Um, so join us next month when we find out what this is about. Uh, thanks again. Wow.